What is up, Bitcoiners? This is CK, and this is another Bitcoin Magazine podcast. Before we get into it, I want to tell you about BitcoinBlackFriday.com. Bitcoin Black Friday is a project from the team that brought you Bitcoin Magazine and the Bitcoin 2021 Conference this coming April and May in Los Angeles. Bitcoin Black Friday is a celebration of the growing Bitcoin ecosystem and economy. On the BitcoinBlackFriday.com site, you're going to find deals for up to 50% off on your favorite Bitcoin gear and other merchants that are part of the Bitcoin ecosystem. That's right. They accept Bitcoin. If those deals are not enough, it doesn't stop at spending Bitcoin. This is about the entire Bitcoin circular economy. We have over 65 charities that you can support with Bitcoin on the site, as well as ways that you can stack sats and earn those precious Satoshis. So again, BitcoinBlackFriday.com, great place for deals and to earn and support with Bitcoin. And if that is not enough, we have teamed up with the Fold card. I'm sure many of you guys know that the Fold Bitcoin Back Rewards card is almost here. They have a wait list. And if you sign up for their wait list exclusively through BitcoinBlackFriday.com, in the fold placement and on the banners on the site, if you sign up through that, you will be entered to win a raffle for one entire Bitcoin. That's right. That is one whole BTC. If you're a Bitcoiner, you know that is life-changing amounts of BTC. Or in fiat, that is $13,200 at today's price. And with all the volatility, that could be a lot higher by the time you hear this ad. So don't wait one second. Go to BitcoinBlackFriday.com, check out the deals, sign up for the Fold card, enter your chance to win an entire Bitcoin. What is up, Bitcoiners? This is your boy, CK. I'm here with another episode of Bitcoin Magazine Podcast. And this week, I'm chatting with someone that I should have talked to probably months and months ago, but finally got time on the calendar with a very, very interesting gentleman, Simon Chamorro, who is the CEO of The Value Company and Service based out of Columbia. Uh, Simon, welcome to the podcast and super excited to have you. Hi, CK. Thank you for having me, man. It's great to, to be with you today. So one of the reasons I'm super interested in talking to you is because I view Bitcoin as like this internet, this this general clearing layer for value around the world, right? And I, I just see it as this like permissionless thing that anyone can tap into and use in really creative ways. And I think that your company is pioneering a kind of novel ways of using the Bitcoin blockchain and building kind of financial services and UX on top of it. So I'm super excited in getting into your story and talking about your company, but I guess we can just start off with who you are, what is value and how did you come up with this idea? Awesome. Well, I guess that I have to start with the fact that I'm, I was born in Venezuela. I hate when people, you know, like when a lot of people are like, Oh, Venezuela, great place for crypto. And like I'm Venezuelan and I understand it, everything, but the, the, the reality for my story personally is that my my dad and my, grew up in a political family and he was like very involved in politics. Like he's not a politician or anything, but he has a lot of friends that were, were involved in that shit. I grew up in a in a in a house. My my dad also studied economy, so 
every day was talking about like how the, comp the, the country was getting derailed, how the, uh, the things are just, were just going in the bad direction and talking about economy concepts. Um, so I grew up in that environment, right? Like in a, in a political, economical environment. And at the end, Bitcoin in, in, or cryptocurrency in general is, is a very political and uh, economical solution in a way. And so growing up, then I you know, migrated to Spain, then I went to the US, I studied in the US. And my first job that I got in, in, in the United States was at a tech company that introduced me to crypto, in, initially through Ethereum. But at the time, I was just like amazed with the, this technology. I quickly understood kind of like the magnitude of the impact uh, of what it would achieve. And, you know, everybody compares it to the Internet. And at the time, it was just pretty evident for me that this was definitely going to be as big as the Internet or more. And that was just a, a very early stage. So I decided to, to kind of study it from the beginning. Then I, you know, got hired by a couple of startups in Latin America, came down to Latin America, worked for them, got a lot of experience. And in the meantime, I was looking for things to do related to crypto and to Venezuela because I, I was just passionate to bring crypto to Latin America, to emerging economies, but more so to, to my home country. So, so that's my story. You know, I, 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 I grew up in a country where crypto is in high demand or, or it, it, it's a high added value product and system because of the, the situation. I studied industrial design, so I'm passionate about like challenging the status quo, building things from scratch and building new things and because everything is yet to be done. I'm passionate about what's happening in Venezuela. It's a, it's a very important crisis, social crisis, one of the most important social crises in, 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 in recent history outside of wars like Syria. So what we're doing essentially through the use of cryptocurrency really helps a population that it's, that it's in high need of solutions, financial solutions. So that's my story. Value is essentially helping Venezuelan migrants send money back home. We use Bitcoin rails to buy and sell cryptocurrencies to kind of like complete the fiat to fiat transfer. And now we're helping people send cryptocurrency, send money or send value into Venezuela in the form of a stablecoin. The only difference with us is that we decided to create a synthetic dollar with Bitcoin derivatives. And, and I'll explain why in a second but essentially uses the same Bitcoin infrastructure in some, somehow. And we've been established from the very first day in a very pragmatic way. We're super pragmatic, like to be quite honest, I know this is Bitcoin Magazine and everything, but like if at one point Bitcoin is not the best solution, what trumps over everything for us is the customer. So for us today, the, the best solution for the customer happens to be Bitcoin. But if that changes in the future, we'll, we'll change. We'll change and we'll, we'll, we'll provide to our customers whatever is best for them, whatever is most safe, faster, cheaper. And essentially, and essentially that's what we're building. We're, we're democratizing access to, to dollar accounts in Latin America. And these dollars are backed in Bitcoin, which we believe is the best reserve asset currently in the world. So yeah, that's a little bit about us and the company. Yeah, that's awesome. And, and personally, you know, as a Bitcoiner, I'm glad that you're focused on what's best. And I'm bullish on Bitcoin because I think it's the best and it's going to continue to be the best for several reasons. And we can kind of get into that. But before we do, you're currently in Colombia and you're operating in Colombia. It sounds like 
one of the big customers is, or you're, you're a major subset of your customers are Venezuelans, whether they're expats or, you know, just generally people that have left Venezuela and trying to send money back. Can you talk about what it's like to run a Bitcoin company in, in Colombia, what the dynamic between Colombia and Venezuela are, as well as like maybe in a, even a deeper look into just the general LATAM crypto money situation? That, that's right. Yeah. So um, our strategy and so our hypothesis and to and the reason why we started this company is that at the beginning was that Venezuela was going to get dollarized. And for all the, all the listeners here, what I can tell you is that dollars are the most high demand financial product in the world outside of the U.S. It's it's what people trust trust the most. And that's how it is. And so it really works as a, as a, as a medium of payment. It's an excellent medium of payment. And so, like history has proven, in most hyperinflationary economies, there's a period of dollarization, either formal or informal. And in Venezuela, it started happening informally last year. But when we started in 2018, our hypothesis was that the hyperinflation was so dramatic that we, we were going to get dollarized. So we started, the question was like, how, how can we help this transition into dollars? especially using crypto. So we noticed that not only we already had a large migration, but that this migration was ramping up. So now we have the largest diaspora and migration in the world, even larger than the Syrian migration. And all these people are sending money back home. So these remittance corridors coming from Colombia, from Peru, from Chile, from every other Latin American country are a great vehicle for injecting liquidity in the form of dollars into Venezuela. So we said to ourselves, okay, this is the perfect product. Let's help Venezuelan migrants send money back home in the form of dollars. And so definitely we started in Colombia because it's the, it's the country that, have, that hosts the majority of these migrants because we are uh, border countries and, and most of them arrive here. And the dynamics of starting a company, a crypto company in Latin America, I would say it's, it's, it's definitely tough. It's, uh, it's, a, it's a hard challenge, but, you know, like being super candidly like nobody said this will be easy we're still at the early stages of cryptocurrency of the industry in general of regulation in general and this is a challenge that we have to that we have to face and the more and more companies that you know make a stand and want to put their flag and and start a company in the crypto space the better for the industry in general because at the end what needs to win is not a company it's the technology It's, it's the innovation of crypto so that we can, you know, live a better financial infrastructure for the in, for our kids. That it's more private for the people. That it's the sovereign the sovereignty is on the is on, is on the people, and that there's no intermediaries. That that everybody can be included. So it's it's definitely a big challenge. Luckily, regulation has been advancing a lot in Brazil, Mexico, Colombia, which are the three largest economies currently. And now we have what it's called a sandbox, a regulatory sandbox in most of these countries. So as crypto companies, even though we operate on gray areas that are not illegal, but not necessarily regulated, which is sometimes an advantage because we can be more nimble and we can ship things faster. Now we have a clear path to becoming a regulated entity or a regulated financial institution in every country that we operate in. So, and this is a recent thing, you know, COVID also accelerated that. The, the other big problem is, you know, establishing good relationships with the banks and with the payment processors and, and with other third parties. Because in Latin America, people 
in general, there's no knowledge around crypto. People have a, a misconception that crypto is for laundering money. Well, it's, you know. That's just everywhere. Yeah, it's, 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 it's ridiculous. So, so at, at least in my position, one of my big um, efforts and one of my big, the things that I have to do as, as a founder in a crypto company in Latin America is, is, is educate. I have to educate people. I have to educate banks, bank owners, uh, regulators. Again, the more people we have help helping educate, the better. Because every time I show something like chain analysis or TRM, I'm excited to show that so that people, you know, change their perspective. Because while some people, you know, are not very fans of those tools, regulators are. And so we have to find an, a really strong narrative as an industry, as a crypto industry, so that we can continue to educate, so that we can continue to change people's perspective. And yeah, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna say the the, the lie is 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 a tough, it's a tough challenge to start a crypto company in, in South America. Luckily, we've just gotten a lot of support from. One of the reasons why we're getting a lot of support is because we're helping migrants, and this is a social problem for most countries. And when we bring a solution like crypto for a, for a problem that you know local banks or local governments don't know how to solve effectively, then it's then we're getting support. So our strategy to to follow this diaspora, it's almost like a Trojan horse per se, because we're definitely getting support. We're getting support from the U.S. government as well, from USAID, uh, the Inter-American Development Bank. We just received one million dollar grant, non-equity uh, grant, for uh, improving our our technologies and, and developing our company. We, we have an objection letter from the Colombian government. So it really is like three-dimensional chess. You really have to play all of, all of these things correctly to become uh, successful. And you have to have a long-term mentality. You know, we're here for the long-term. If value becomes a huge success, I don't think it's going to be in the next three years. So that's another maybe kind of like thing to, to say. Yeah, so there's a lot of things that you talked about that I want to tease out here. So I, I don't want to get too far ahead of ourselves. First and foremost, like one of the big things it seems like that you've been able to accomplish is you've, you're using Bitcoin, but you've created a UX that gets people excited, especially people who demand dollars, the American government, you're, you're getting, you know, even traditional banks, you're solving problems using Bitcoin. Let's just talk about how you use Bitcoin to create these synthetic dollars, what the user experience is like, and I guess, how does that plug into the traditional financial system that you're interoperating with? Right. That's a, that's a great question. So the, to the first one, one of the things we always say at Value is that what we think that we can be the best in the world at is a seamless crypto adoption. And when, when we say this is because similarly to the internet, you know, nobody knows what the hell is HTTP or like they just know it's a couple of, of letters at the beginning of every web address. And, and, and all these protocols that we have on the internet, nobody cares about because we've already reached that point. So how can we start thinking similarly in the crypto space? And for us from day one, you know, my background is also in industrial design, as I mentioned. So I'm very passionate about, you know, I think that products and services should adapt to human behavior and not the other way around. One of the big mistakes most companies in the crypto space make is just making it very technical. You know, like their websites, you know, they like to show it off. They like to show off their crypto or like crazy kind of like UI and animations and all these things that are very technical. And that scares away most people. It's natural for us because we're also targeting a, a very a population that has low financial literacy and low technical literacy. 
So we have to think very deeply how to create great products from the beginning that are simple to use. And, and actually part of the, the big problem is like money is hard. You know, money in general, apart crypto, fiat, whatever, is hard. Even for like they don't teach you money in, in school. And even if they do, most people don't get it. And so we want to make it simple. So yeah, we never we never say we never talk about crypto if it's not needed to talk about it. If you are going to open your account and you're going to buy value dollars, which is this Bitcoin backed synthetic dollars, we tell you, we tell you like, hey, this is a digital asset, this is how it is, you know, we we, we have to tell you legally in that moment. But in the rest of the experience, we, we, we don't confuse you with that. We just tell you the benefits. We just tell you the value propositions. Why is it better? But we, we never talk about blockchain or any of that. So that's definitely something that I think more companies in the space have to start thinking about deeply. Hopefully we can be an inspiration for a lot of them. And to answer your second question, it's interesting because you know Bitcoin was created and cryptocurrency was created, in my opinion, to kill the banks. Banks are intermediaries between central banks and us and central banks have their policies and they do whatever they want under certain limitations and certain principles but in general it's 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 a system based on promises on promises on banknotes that are just very very fragile very fragmented and so but but the reality is that we cannot get there we're not gonna get there soon right like because losing that power even for central banks is is something that you know changes the whole the whole the world in ways that we we don't really understand yet so the exponential maximum kind of like a scenario of cryptocurrency changing the world we 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 don't understand nobody understands that so what can we do in the meantime what are the trend the smaller transitions that we can make so for us is definitely there has to be an adoption for of the banks Banks have to start working with crypto. You know, when a bank starts working with crypto, I get I get excited. I don't know if you guys do or if you do, but like this is the first. These are first baby steps. Like they have to happen. It's impossible that these these don't happen. So for us, like I was mentioning, we have to really work a lot on education, build really good relationships with the with the founders or owners of these institutions, financial institutions. And, and then slowly kind of like start working with them, slowly show them what we do, slowly show them why crypto is better. So that intersection between the current financial system and, and crypto is, is super, super important. So what we do is, is a combination of that. We, we get paid in fiat when somebody wants to cash in, you know, on ramp into crypto. We have to use a bank. Then we buy crypto in exchanges, in, in, peer, in peer-to-peer exchanges, in order book exchanges, in OTCs. Then we create the synthetic assets. And then we, you know, when we offer them, we traditionally offer them into, into the local infrastructure, either cash or banks. So this merge into the, in, between, the, with, between the local financial infrastructure, the current financial infrastructure and crypto, it's, it's key. It's, it's the most important thing, I would say, on and off ramps. So that's like, if we can summarize it, it's on and off ramps are the most important thing for crypto, Bitcoin or anything to become massively adopted. So that's why I get excited every time I see more financial institutions interested in it, uh, using it. So I guess like, let's talk uh, specifically about the user experience, right? So you're trying to give people access to dollars. Let's say they're in Colombia 
they download the app. What's that user flow like? And when the person that they're sending money to gets the value dollars, what is it like for them to get that money in a form that they're accustomed to? Yeah, so there's two ways. There's two services that we offer today. So one of them is fiat-to-fiat remittances, which is when somebody wants to send Colombian pesos and their families in Venezuela will receive Venezuelan bolivars. We started with this service because it's what most people were already used to. People didn't understand sending dollars back home. So we, w- we wanted to start with something that was already using crypto, and I'll explain how, but that people understood. That was easy for people to grasp, and it was just a direct competition to what people were already using, just better. Better in the sense that we have faster transfers, better exchange rates, it's, it's safer. You know, People can, know, can see the status of their transaction in, in, in their phones, in their apps. But it's the same product. And our main competitor is a black market. Essentially, it's a Hawaiian network of intermediaries that are kind of like sending money to Venezuela because Venezuela has capital controls. So in Venezuela, you don't have wire transfers. They don't work. You don't have Western Union, none of that. There's no way to send money to Venezuela to traditional ways, uh, in traditional ways. And, um, and so there's a black market. That's our main competitor. So we wanted to compete with that. What we do is that once we get the fiat currency in our bank account, somebody pays. We have, we're connected with a payment processor. So for the U.S. listeners, maybe it's like a Stripe, a Stripe for Latin America. And so through this Stripe of Latin America as a payment processor, we can get paid in cash, debit, or credit. Once we get that payment in our bank, we buy this crypto. We buy Bitcoin generally because Bitcoin is the most liquid crypto asset with fiat pairs in Latin America. So that's one of the reasons why it's amazing for on and off ramping. And once we buy this crypto asset, then we sell it in Venezuela immediately. We usually manage floats and we manage cash flow. So we're managing our, we have a really interesting treasury system that allows us to hedge our risk in different places because we're managing Bitcoin volatility. But in general, the step-by-step is we get this payment in Colombian pesos, we buy Bitcoin, and then we sell the Bitcoin in the other country. And what happens is that specifically in the case of Venezuela, Venezuela is the most banked country in the region, in South America. I think that even more than the U.S. I heard that the U.S., uh, it's 75% banked, 25% unbanked. Venezuela is reaching 80%. The reason why we have- It's actually shocking. They're banked, but their fiat is garbage. Exactly. That's the The underlying rails or the underlying assets are garbage. That's the main reason why we are completely banked. The reason why this happened, just a brief piece of history, and I guess this is important because Venezuela is effectively the second largest hyperinflation in human history after Zimbabwe. What happened is that at one point, hyperinflation was going so fast, so rapidly, that the government had to buy new bills constantly. We even took eight zeros out of the currency so far, but the, the numbers were growing up, like scaling up, and the government had to buy new bills every month until the point that the I think Switzerland stopped selling bills to the Venezuelan government. And there was just like no new bills that would keep up with the hyperinflation. And at one point, while people were moving into opening bank accounts so that they can swipe their debit cards, because like you have to swipe 5 million bolivars to buy coffee, a cup of coffee or whatever. And, and the numbers were very large. And during that period of time, people would just like look, it would look like a narco state. It really is an narco state, but at one point, everybody would be like carrying packs of cash, like going to give me that orange juice. And then you put like two packs of like bills, like crazy. Like, wow. and- yeah, I've seen the photos. 
It's just sad because you know what that represents, people's value just completely disintegrating. But it is very interesting to see how in the government's effort to deal with their hyperinflation that the side effect was everyone kind of got banked. And if MMTers and those kind of people in the first world get what they want, most likely that's going to be the end result as well is whoever's unbanked will have to get onto the rails as soon as as fast as they can in order to get access to any any sort of help. So very interesting. Okay, so that makes sense. So one of your products is, you know, essentially Bitcoin is the middle, is the trade trading pair, and then all the other, and essentially it just has liquid pairs with other currencies. What was your yeah. second product? And like, what's the UX for that? Yeah, so the second product, it's very similar to Cashin. People, you know, can pay through this Stripe type integration that we have here. We get the money in our bank, the fiat currency, then we buy Bitcoin again. And then instead of selling the Bitcoin in Venezuela in for, in for fiat, which is the first product. Now we'll, what we do is that we hedge this Bitcoin, we trade uh, Bitcoin derivatives. Unfortunately, what happened to BitMEX like allows us, and um, not, not allows us, but like forced us to move into other changes. But we we're trading mostly in BitMEX. Now we're using Deribit, Bybit, uh, Binance, we're kind of like diversifying, but we trade Bitcoin derivatives, futures, perpetual swaps. And essentially what we do, it's very commonly known as cash and carry trade or, or a dollar neutral strategy and allows us to effectively hedge our Bitcoin to the dollar price. So we are effectively long dollar, short Bitcoin in this case, so that we can create a synthetic exposure to the dollar using Bitcoin. And so Bitcoin can go up and down in price. It doesn't matter. We'll have less or more Bitcoin, but we'll have the same dollar value. By doing that, we're also making revenue. We're making about 13% APR on our Bitcoin derivatives trading. And translating this exposure to our users, but our users don't have to understand, they don't, they don't care about any of this. Essentially they pay and in 10 seconds they have value dollars in their phones uh, that they can use to send to their families, similar to Venmo or Cash App, kind of like a Venmo experience. And their families in Venezuela for the first time in 20 years, they can receive money from outside, from their families in the form of dollars, which is a stable asset compared to the local fiat. So their money is appreciating, you know, in Venezuela it's appreciating rapidly. And in fact, in the in the app, we show them how much value dollars do they have and how much local fiat they have. And we show them how much they made. And it's ridiculous. Like these people are making a lot of money just by holding these value dollars that are effectively backed in Bitcoin, which is the exciting part. And so that people are using it as a savings account. And what they're doing to use this money is that they're cashing out into the Bolivar but only they're, they're only cashing out whatever they're going to spend on for that day. If they're going to buy groceries, they cash out $5, $10, which is a lot, mo- a lot of money in Venezuela, and then they spend it, and they, they cash it out into their bank accounts. Because like I was mentioning, everybody has a bank account in Venezuela. They just cash it out into their bank accounts, and then they go and swipe their debit cards to buy food or medicine or whatever they need. And so that's the first step. But in reality, what we want is that people do not cash out into the Bolivar, which is a shitty hyperinflationary currency. So we're increasingly thinking about how to design a, a user experience that is not only transactional, but that is also social, similar to Venmo. And so more and more, we want people to start paying each other in a peer-to-peer fashion. And commerces, you know, small mom and pop shops, small supermarkets to start you know, accepting payments in value. So we're enabling QR codes as well. And more and more, we want to, you know, create this economy where people are paying themselves in, in dollars and never cashing out into into uh, these, these fiat currencies. 
Awesome. So I guess let's kind of talk about how Bitcoin enables your business model, right? So a lot of times you said you mentioned you got into crypto because of Ethereum, but here you are working with a Bitcoin product to create a synthetic dollar stable coin instead of what we're seeing on Ethereum, where they also have a lot of stable coins like Tether and stuff like that. It's a little bit different. I'm kind of curious for your specific use case. Why are you kind of, you know, using a Bitcoin product and how does Bitcoin help you, you know, do this? And why are you using Bitcoin instead of other crypto? Well, the first and most important thing is liquidity. So all these Ethereum-based stable coins are, well, they're awesome projects. They're not very liquid yet. And I say awesome projects because anything, again, I'm a, I'm a big fan of the industry in general, and I think the technology has to win. So all these things that are like pushing the industry forward are great, but they're not liquid. So that's the first thing. The second thing is regulatory. So fiat-backed stablecoins such as USDC or Tether represent a high risk from a regulatory perspective because, you know, any government could froze those assets if they are sitting on the country where we don't have kind of like any power. So that, that's one of the things. And, and the third is the revenue opportunity. So most of these stablecoins, the, the yield that they're providing is, is going down dramatically, especially after covid and we haven't really gotten into stablecoin lending as a business model. We, we are morally and ethically, I mean, we're, we're, again, we're very pragmatic and not idealistic, but the risk presented by the lending models uh, currently is high, you know, because there's this hypothesis, I don't, I don't, I don't remember the name in, in English, but it's like rehypothetication which is, you know, you, if you lend to somebody, they're lending that shit to somebody else and to somebody else and to somebody else. So, so the business model in, in stable coins is not great compared to, the, to, to how much money we can make by trading Bitcoin derivatives. So that's the other, those three from first principles, that's kind of the reason why we chose Bitcoin is liquidity, regulation, and revenue opportunity. Do you see anything that could potentially replace Bitcoin for that use case, or is Bitcoin just kind of snowballing and becoming, you know, more and more useful? I'm just kind of curious what where you see the direction of this, you know, of the crypto infrastructure and that universal clearing layer. That's, uh, that's a good question. So, as a universal clear, clearing layer, I think Bitcoin Bitcoin will be a really like will be the strongest asset to basically to be a clearing system between large institutions in large volumes. I doubt that it will always be going through the Bitcoin blockchain because with more interoperability and other faster blockchains, there might be a, a moment in time where we can you know, make a Bitcoin transaction using different blockchains. And I think it will not be a zero-sum game. I think that some cryptos will be used in some other things, like differently from the internet, where you know, there was like a couple of protocols that won. I think that there will be a multiple projects that will be successful in different areas. I wouldn't be able to tell, like, again, very pragmatically, I am not kind of like trying to make predictions or anything. I try to stay away from that. And I try to like always think about like, to, with the problem that I have in front of me, what is the best way I can solve it? And as of today, you know, Bitcoin becomes that solution. And, 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 and quite transparently, now we're, all, we're also kind of like working to do a diversification in our treasury that we're going to be managing both Bitcoin derivatives and stablecoins. And out of the stablecoins, we're looking into the algorithmic ones 
before the fiat backed ones because because of the regulatory risk that I was mentioning. But if at one point there's a clear regulatory uh, way and path to do this, we'll also use those. I, I think again that I, that whatever that whatever people decide in this industry and whatever what has to trump is the customer, is the user. What is best? for the user and the customer. And I find that many, many times the idealism and the, this really kind of like deep concepts of how crypto is better, customers don't care about. They care about cheaper, faster, safer, that it works. That's it. And so that, yeah, that's, that's what it is. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's, it's a nuanced topic and, you know, predominantly on this show, you're talking to Bitcoiners, but I love, you know, your pragmatism and being able to see different perspectives and speaking about different perspectives. Earlier, you mentioned working with regulators, trying to onboard them onto crypto, making them feel more comfortable and utilizing tools like chain analysis in order to like make them feel like this is more similar to what they're used to with the traditional fiat system. Can you talk a little bit about what that is like? And maybe even speak to some of the Bitcoiners who'd be like, you sound like a compliance bro. That's not what Bitcoin is about. Like, can you kind of push back onto, you know, I guess your perspective on how to deal with regulators and even go deeper now? What's what's their role? Right. So I have to say before anything, now that you know these are the listeners are Bitcoiners, that all my crypto is Bitcoin. I don't have anything else. <laughs> but uh, I do believe in Bitcoin a lot. But that's me. You know, that's me. That's me as an investment uh, thing. But for the users and for creating different financial services, there might be that. I'm, I'm, I'm just trying to saying that there might be other things that are good as well. In terms of compliance, I wouldn't call myself a pro. I'm on, on a learning curve i'm on a on, my, on, on a journey like everybody compliance else. bro <laughs> it's like i'm yeah we're gonna comply to take bitcoin to the moon that's like the mentality of a compliance bro oh, okay 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 I've, I've never heard the concept before of a compliance bro <laughs> but i think that whatever i can do like in my position to push the industry forward and bring more adoption of, of, of bitcoin to to the masses that's I, I will be happy with that. I hardly see uh, in a scenario where it's black or white. It's never going to be black or white. It's a process. I, I would even t- tell you that like there's a lot of people in government that are Bitcoiners. Uh, there's a lot of Bitcoiners in government, but they cannot say it out loud. They they cannot, pull, especially in Latin America, they cannot kind of like express this out loud because they have to follow the government's agenda. So... The difference between, you know, how regulation works in Latin America and in the U.S. is that some people call, are always scared of Latin America because of corruption, quote unquote. Lobbying is corruption. It's just called lobbying in the U.S., right? Like They're educating lawmakers. <laughs> and so, and so in, in general, what, what happens in Latin America is that there's a little bit less freedom of speech, even though we say we have freedom of speech, but, but all these governments and policy make, uh, regulators and policymakers really have to kind of like follow the lead of somebody. And that's the difference between the, 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 the I don't know if there's, that's how it works in the U.S., but I see that in the U.S. there's more freedom of speech. People can say what they think. People, people if they, there's a Bitcoin in government, they say it. In Latin America, it's, they're more scared of losing their job and things like that. And I'm just trying, and I'm just saying all this so that people understand the complexities of making crypto successful in Latin America. And that 
again, that all these companies that are here, Bitso in Mexico is awesome, Rip, Ripio in Argentina, uh, amazing, and like us, and, and there's a lot, there's a lot of little uh, smaller startups. We're all really kind of like doing our best so that we kind of protect the essence of crypto continue to educate and, and push the industry forward. And I hope that I can, uh, I don't get like framed as a compliance bro or like anything negative because all, all we're trying to do is, is really push kind of like this, this industry forward. And if there's people out there that think that crypto will win without, without involving governments, without involving regulators, I, I will tell you that this is, you guys are, are, are looking to the others that are, are not probably like really with your feet on the ground and, 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 and you have to rethink that. Okay. I think that's fair. And speaking about, you know, taking Bitcoin to the masses, how do you feel about the word hyper Bitcoinization, the concept? And I guess, what does, what does that mean to you? And do you believe that we could eventually, the world can reorganize around a hard money standard? More than believing in that, I think that it would be a, a, an awesome scenario if Bitcoin gets to the point where it's a stable and like you know we mine it all or we get close to mining it all. I don't really know what has to happen technically and and, and from a, I would say like market perspective so that Bitcoin starts to get stable. But if we get to that point and Bitcoin becomes a fast a faster blockchain or we work on some per, some interoperability with other blockchains that we can make Bitcoin transactions super fast. Dude, like that's what everybody would love, you know, it, it, at least it, as a Bitcoiner and as a crypto person. Pragmatically, I, I just don't know. I just really don't know. And I think there's a better, a, a more kind of like real realistic scenario where like Halfini, you know, talked about like, you know, Bitcoin will be used for some financial institutions like banks will use it to kind of like settle between them and like move all these big transactions and it will be used as a reserve asset. I think that's going to be a first initial step. We're already, we're already seeing that, you know, with the recent news from, from Square, banks in Europe that are starting to, to convert uh, some of their reserves into Bitcoin. We're starting to see central banks starting to, to, to use Bitcoin as a reserve asset. So oh, that, where yeah. is that happening other than Venezuela? Oh, I mean, man, is it happening I, in Venezuela? I, in Venezuela, I think so. Yeah, I think I think the Venezuelan on this is speculation, right? I'm speculating because we know there's people involved in mining and all kinds of stuff. Right. No, Venezuela was a big mining place, still is a little bit, but you know, compared to like China or like some other places in in, in general, not that big anymore. But at, at one point, when I think this was like five years ago, mining was starting to ramp up because there was a lot of wealthy individuals in Venezuela who kind of quickly understood how to mine. They bought a bunch of computers. They did huge farms. And, and the, what happened then is that the government started to crack down on them, take out their computers. Uh, I have a friend whose dad, like, he lost so much money because the government cracked down on his operation, on like his mining operation. And there's nothing you can do. They just, it's a, it's a dictatorship. So I, I think the Venezuelan government is definitely using Bitcoin, unfortunately, because the Venezuelan government is a dictatorship. It's a communist country. Like, they don't care about freedom of speech, they don't care about human rights, they have, they're, they're really yeah. not. I mean, they're, 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 they're thugs, you know, I think that that's, there's, n there's no question about it. But at the, at the same time, it, it does kind of, you know, in a non-humanitarian way, prove the use case as well. Right, it, it does, it does. The, the other thing, the, the other, I heard about a bank in Europe that bought like 
like changed his their research for like 50% of their research into Bitcoin. So that's what I was saying that it's like, I think we're going to start seeing this more and more. You have a source? And, I want to see this story. I haven't heard of this for some reason. I'll, I'll, sh- I'll look it up and share it with you um, so that we can maybe publish it on the, on the link when you publish this. But, but at this in value, for example, our reserves for creating these dollars, this synthetic dollar are Bitcoin. And I think this is going to be a first step before hyper-Bitcoinization because I, I understand the concept of hyper-Bitcoinization is when, when, the, when the people themselves have Bitcoin, but potentially non-custodial Bitcoin, where they you know, manage their keys and, they're sent, and everybody's paying in Bitcoin, and, and Bitcoin is, is a decentralized global financial infrastructure. Yeah, um, maybe hyper Bitcoinization is a loaded term, but I, I characterize that as Bitcoin is, or Satoshis are a unit of account, and people think in in Sats. Maybe they don't necessarily, you know, trade UTXOs. We don't know what that UX is going to look like, but oh, I would say oh. that, that that I would characterize that as hyper Bitcoinization. Right. So that like the, the the unit of currency, global unit of currency, becomes uh, Bitcoins or Sats. Okay. Yeah. Maybe we're closer to that than you know people using it as a, as their daily payments. I would hope so because we we certainly need a global unit of currency currently today. Right now, it's, it's definitely the dollar. You know, most people compare it to the dollar. Potentially, what has to happen so that Bitcoin uh, arises is that people somehow lo- lose trust in the dollar, and for people to lose trust in the dollar, then effectively we we will have to. Either like the Chinese government, you know, takes over or the Chinese currency takes over, which is a very realistic scenario given the current state of things, or that, you know, that the, that the dollar becomes a, a weak currency. But again, that's, those are such deep macroeconomic topics that I don't think that the right person to, 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 to predict. <laughs> we do do a show called FedWatch on Bitcoin Magazine. So we talk all macro on that. So let's point the listeners to FedWatch. Simon, this was a fantastic conversation, super insightful into everything that's happening in LATAM and how you guys are using Bitcoin. Again, like I mentioned, I'm a fan of your pragmatic approach, and I find that I've learned a lot from thinking about how you think about Bitcoin and think about building fintech products in Latin America. For our listeners, where can people find you? And I guess, who do you want to hear from? If if there's anyone out there that, you know, that's a Bitcoiner that you think might be interested in value, who do you want to hear from? We're always looking for great talent, you know, engineers that want to join this project. This is, a, I think this is a, one of the few real use, use cases for Bitcoin and crypto uh, in the world. I don't say this lightly. I, I think that there's an awesome bunch of projects out there, but like really making, making it a, kind of a, a useful product for real people that really, really need this. So if there's any developers or even marketers, talent we're always looking to 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 bring we're a remote company so you guys can find me personally in, in twitter at simon value and you can look us up at value in www.value.com to learn more about about the company yeah and that's value v-a-l-i-u so slightly alternative spelling but simon value and then www.valiu.com that's correct (laughs) all right guys and i am ck underscore snarks on twitter you can find me there or at bitcoin magazine make sure to give us a subscribe like share five star reviews all the above make sure to share simon's episode and tweet at him if you like it we always like to see the feedback and i think that this was a very very insightful conversation thank you ck thank you for having me
a quick reminder that all of the content in this episode is for informational and entertainment purposes only. You should not construe the information as legal, tax, investment, financial, or any other advice. Nothing contained in this presentation constitutes a solicitation, recommendation, or offer by BTC Media, the Let's Talk Bitcoin Podcast Network, or any third-party service provider to buy or sell securities or any other financial instruments. Do your own research.